Pray with me this morning. Lord, we love you and we thank you for this opportunity we get to come and break open your word this morning, Lord. We just pray that we give you honor and praise in everything that's done this morning. As we read your word, Lord, as we read in times of desperate and dire times, Lord, we just pray that, that you speak. You speak in those times just like you speak today, Lord. We just pray that you will, um, everything we do today will give you honor and praise, Lord. Love you and thank you for this. Amen. This morning, we're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 7. But I, I, I want to introduce this a little bit because I can't believe this is actually in our Bible. Because as I was reading and studying this, um, and as my wife was looking over my notes this week, she was like, are you really preaching that? And um, I said, well, that's what the Lord called me to. And it's, it's, it's one of the most desperate, hopeless Places that I've seen in my Bible. I know there's a lot of those areas there, but it's, it is a very, these, these people were in a very desperate and hopeless situation. And uh, I just thought it was, it was an awesome opportunity for us to see how God can deliver them then and He can deliver us today. So we find in this text this morning one of the most desperate and hopeless situations. The people of Samaria needed a Savior, they needed to be delivered from this famine, they needed a miracle. You know, Today, are you going through a hopeless situation? Is there things in your life that are going on right now that you need a miracle, that you need a Savior, someone to step into your life and, and speak truth, someone to deliver you from your struggles? You know, I want to give you a little bit of context of the background of this passage. So um, I'll start in 2 Kings chapter 6, in verse um, 25. And it says, And there was a great famine in Samaria, and they besieged it until a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver, and the fourth part of a cab of dove's dung was sold for five shekels of silver. Now as the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, a woman cried out to him, saying, Help my lord, O king. And he said, If the lord will not help you, how shall I help you? From the threshing floor or from the winepress? And the king asked her, What is your trouble? She answered. This woman said to me, said to me Give your son that we may eat him today, and we will eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son and ate him. And on the next day I said to her, Give your son that we may eat him, but she has hidden her son. So we see here how desperate times have been. They're, 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 they're eating and selling um, one of the most unclean parts of an animal. And, and for one, it's a donkey's head. So they're, 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 they're in, there's no food. They've, this army has has um, Benedad has, has set up shop around Samaria and have starved out everything coming in and everything going out. It's also said that um, this is a, one of the biggest droughts of that time. So e even the farmland, even, the, even the, the crops that they've been harvesting in the past have not been very, very good. So we're going to see here that, that he's starving this city. And it's, it's, Benedad wanted this, this Samaria to give up. He wanted them to, to um, surrender. So that gets us to, to verse 32. It says, in verse 32, Elisha was sitting in his house, and the elders were sitting with him. Now the king had dispatched a man from his presence. But before the messenger arrived, Elisha said to the elders, Do you see how this murderer has sent to take off my head? 
Look, when the messenger comes, shut the door and hold the door fast against him. Is not the sound of his master's feet right behind him? And while, while he was still speaking with them, the messenger came down to him and said, This trouble is from the Lord. Why shall I wait for the Lord any longer? So the king here is, is tired of waiting. He has grown impatient because he's seeing, he's seeing, um, he's wanting the God of Elisha to come through, to deliver this city, to deliver this people into prosperity, to deliver all of these bad things and all these sufferings without doing anything. He just wants Elisha to take care of it. So he thinks Elisha is causing all these problems because he will not ask his God to take care of this situation. So that gets us to, to, to chapter 7 in our verses for this morning. So if you will, in honor of God's Word, will you stand and, and read with me these um, verses 1 through 9 here. In verse 1 it says, But Elisha said, Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, Tomorrow about this time a, a sale of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel, and two sales of barley for, for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. Then the captain uh, on whose hand the king leaned said to the man, If the Lord himself should make windows in heaven, could this thing be? In other words, there's no way that there's, it's, it's too bad. There's no way that this can happen. But he said, you shall see it with your own eyes, but you shall not eat of it. In verse 3 it says, Now there were four men who were lepers at the entrance at the gate. And they said to one another, Why are we sitting here until we die? If we say, Let us enter the city, the famine is in the city, and we should die there. And if we sit here, we die also. So now come, let us go over to the camp of the Syrians. If they spare our lives, we shall live. If they kill us, we shall but die. So they arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. But when they came to the edge of the camp of the Syrians, behold, there was no one there. For the Lord had made the army of the Syrians hear the sound of chariots and of horses, the sound of a great army, so that they said to one another, Behold, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites, and the kings of Egypt to come against us. So they fled away in the twilight and abandoned their tents, their horses and their donkeys, leaving the camp as it was, and fled for their lives. And when these lepers came to the edge of, edge of the camp, they went into, their, into a tent and ate and drank. And they carried off silver and gold and clothing and went and hid them. Then they came back and entered into another tent and carried off things from it and went and hid them. Then they said to one another, we are not doing right. This is a day of good news. If we are silent and we wait until morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now therefore, let us go and tell the king's household. You may be seated. So we, we, I hope you've been able to see that, that these are hopeless, desperate times for the city. They, they, the famine has went on for, for some time now, and they have no food. They're, they come to the point of eating, eating um, donkey's head, an unclean animal, that for one, they're not supposed to even be touching in the first place. And, and, and now they're, they're also, if you understand what dove's dung is, which is in some terms pigeon manure, or in another term, a, a, a leafy substance that is just a mixture of a lot of different things. It was used for fuel and was used for, was used for um, 
for eating in dire situations. So either one of those things were not something good to be, to be even fooling with in the first place. But also we see the cannibalism here. You know, this was a last resort in, in times of impending starvation. This was a sign of losing all hope, all hope and having to take matters, matters into their own hands. So the sermon title this morning, let's do something while we can. But also, also I wrote here, um, why sit here until we die? You know, I, 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 want to, I want to share three types of people in, as we see in this narrative story. You know, we see the sitters just coasting through life, waiting on somebody else to take care of the, take care of the things. We see the complacency here, but we also see the getters, the ones that are all about themselves, the ones that were starving, the ones that were taking it upon themselves to just complain about what, the, what they were not getting, but not willing to do anything about it. So we see the getters. But we also see the goers and tellers. You know, it puts others ahead of themselves. They were the action takers. They were the unselfish ones. So this morning, I, wanna, I want us to take a look at these four men, these four unnamed men. They were unnamed because it wasn't about them. All we know about them was they had leprosy, which to understand what leprosy is, is um, back in those times, it was just any kind of skin disease. So any kind of skin disease, they were outcasts. They thought it was, it was, um, it was a, a sin issue. They had they cast with this disease because of their sin, and they were outcasts. But also, it, it, in places that I read this week, was that they also, in, in some forms of leprosy, some forms of this disease, it was a rotting of your skin. It was a rotting of your... So the odor of, of some of these men was... That was another reason. It smelled like death. So they were outcasts. They wanted to be shunned away. They were the lowest of the low people. They were having to sit outside the city and beg for everything they had. So, so they, they saw, they noticed how dire the situation was in the city. They noticed how the whole, the whole structure was suffering. And they realized really quick, well, we can't go into the city because there isn't anything for us there. If the healthy folks are not able to eat and they're eating their own kids and they're, they're eating donkey's heads and all this other stuff, then there's nothing there for us. So what I want, you, I, I want you to see this morning is their condition. So these, their, their illness, they were leprous. The diseases are dreadful and loathsome and incurable in, in the Bible days. It was regarded as a punishment for sin. But also their isolation. They were cast out. They were cast out of the city. You know, in verse 3 of chapter 7, we were told that they were at the entrance of the gate. They were considered impure and sinners. Therefore, in order for them not to contaminate or spread the disease, they were isolated by their family members and excommunicated from the temple worship. They were rejected and neglected by the society at large. The only place that was fit for them was the outskirt of the city, entrance of the gate. There was no doubt that things were extremely difficult for them. They were outcasts. You know, have you ever been in a place in your life where you don't know what you will do unless God shows up. You ever been there? We've been there. I've been there. I know, I know everybody has an idea of what that looks like. Um, for us, in, in, in our story, I've been able to share a lot of different parts of my testimony and, and, and different things, but, but we've been in a time where we wanted kids. Been married for, um, been married for seven years, 
and um, been praying the whole time for a child. And boy, did we get one. Boy, did we get one. But, but we've been praying for a child the whole time. And the whole time, I think that uh, we were praying, we didn't realize what God wanted us to, was calling us to something greater than ourselves. Because the whole time we were holding on to, to um, what the world had to offer and not what God had to offer. And the whole time, God had a plan. As soon as, as, soon as we stopped running for God and accepted His calling to ministry, um, what, months, le- less than a couple months, we found out God, God had blessed us with a child. You know, and now we've been blessed with another child. And um, just super excited about what God is doing in our life right now. But, but that was a time in our life where things were desperate for us. Things where we didn't know what we were going to do. We had talked to doctors in a lot of different areas and was fixing to start taking those steps of where to go. And I know that, um, that there's all kinds of different types of desperate, being desperate in a, in a dark place. But for us, that was one of those dark times in our life that we've lived through together. So that was their condition. But I know that it takes true faith in Christ to make it through a season like that. But we also have their decision. You know, decision-making is very important in resolving issues. Do we know that? How we make decisions reflects being able to solve issues because we can make decisions to, make, to cause things to be harder to, make those, to, to resolve issues. But these men were able to reason together. Their decision-making starts by reasoning. In a group, it develops into a discussion or sharing and exchanging of ideas because these men had to, had, had to sit down and play things out because they couldn't go back into the city because everybody was starving there. Well, they were going to die if they did that. They probably wouldn't have made it past the city gates because they would have probably killed them there trying to get back in. But then also, they couldn't sit where they were at because they were going to die there. They looked at it as their only option was to go to the enemy camp. They looked at it, and and for one, if we understand why they were having this discussion in the first place, who put it in their hearts to even have this discussion? You see, as, as this city was struggling, and as all these people were dealing with all these other issues, God was working in the lives of these four leprous men, and nobody in the city had any idea what God had already put on their hearts. So as all of these people over here were struggling, these four men had an opportunity to save or to bring salvation, to bring provisions to this group of people. So it was their, they reasoned together. But they also had this rhetorical question. Why do we sit here until we die? You know, this is a thought-provoking question. It is self-challenging. It does not depend on a verbal response. Its answer is the action taken. They have been isolated and excommunicated and is of no longer, is of no use trying to go back into the city. Their immediate problem was not just the sickness or the excommunication and isolation. It was the famine and hunger in the city. That was the issue at hand. That was the problem that was being dealt with. It was the famine and the hunger in the city. Going back to the city simply means death for them. Equally, sitting in one place will do them no good. They needed, to, they needed to change. They need to make a move acting on their decision. You know, we have, we have an understanding. We have Brother Richard share with us our vision and our mission. And, and, and we can understand what, what that is. What, what is our vision and our mission? It says we exist to love God, love one another, and love our world. That's our mission and vision. 
But unless we act on our mission and vision, it's just a cool, feel-good statement. Unless we put action to that, these men could have said, well, you know, we need to go. We need to go over to the enemy camp. We need to go over there because that's our only option. And then sit where they were at. They could have come up with this awesome strategy and this awesome mission, but sitting where they were at and not putting it into practice didn't mean anything. It was just a cool, cool idea and a cool thought. But I just want to challenge us as we come up with strategies, as we, have a, we, as, we, as we have things in place that we need to be doing, let's put them into action. Let's find ways to put them into action. I, I know that God has blessed each and every one of us for a purpose for being where you're at exactly today. There's a purpose for you being in the church. Some for prayer, some for evangelism, some for teaching, some for encouragement, some for lifting others up, some for... There's all kind of different areas of service for each and every one of us. How are you putting what God's gifted you with into action? But we also see their solution. Success does not depend solely on man's effort, but rather it's God's reward on man's effort. You know, Paul had this to say in 1 Corinthians 3.6. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. It's about God. He he called us to take the step. You know, we see in... We see in, the, in Israel crossing over the Jordan in Joshua chapter, chapter 3. I'll read this to you. Chapter 3 and verse 13, it says, And when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing. You know, we see there that it was a, it was a faith thing. They, they didn't stand on one side and wait for the water to part. They took the faith and stepped out into the water. God called them to step out. That was the same thing with these men. They couldn't, God didn't tell them once they got over there that those men were not going to be there. That army was going to be scattered. He didn't tell them that because He wanted them to have faith in Christ. He wanted them to have faith in the Lord. And I think for us, we need to understand that we need to have faith in what God's called us to and know that He's going to bring us through it. You know, it's so easy for a lot of times for us to, us to play this, well, I'm a realist card. You know, because I've used that word. Well, I'm a realist. I have to be, and, and you know what comes right after you say that, I'm a realist? Probably a negative comment that God can't, God can't provide. Because God can provide in any situation. We see this in this story, in this narrative here. But we saw their solution. But we, but we saw the determined initiative. It requires effort and determination to resolve a problem. Determination is both offensive and defensive. It attacks or faces the problem. It does not run away from it or merely, defend, it or merely defending it. It is life or death. And it leads us, it leads to success. When in line with the plan of God, Esther depended on it. In Esther 4.16 it says, And thus I will go into the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. In the same manner, these four leprous men resolved to go to the camp of the Syrian army. That if they spare us, in, in verse 4, if they spare us, we shall live, and if they kill us, we shall die. That's pretty straightforward there, isn't it? You know, for us, that says, man, I, I can't really understand God's Word. I, I'm teaching student ministry. They that I hear that all the time. Well, I just can't understand it. And I say, well, there's a whole lot of different versions you can read, but man... You can understand that in the King James Version. That's pretty straightforward. If, if they spare us, we shall live. But if they kill us, we're going to die. 
That's, that, that's, pretty, that's pretty straightforward. So, but they, they understood that there was no venture, no success. But it's also a risk not to take a risk. It's also a risk not to take a risk. If you try to save your life, you will lose it. But if you lose it for Christ's sake, you will gain it. But I also want us to understand the divine intervention. The possibility for, is for man, while the impossibility is for God. Man should do all he can to do, can do, and allow or believe God to do all he cannot do. You know, God's called us to, to step out. God's called us to move forward. God's called us to, to, to a purpose and a plan. And allow Him to be the miracle taker. Allow Him to do the miracle in us and through us. We keep, we're, we're held up on being a realist and understand that, man, this isn't going to happen. But God wants to do a miracle through you. If you're not willing to take the step in the water and have faith in Him, we're just going to sit on the sidelines and let others play the game. God calls the Syrian army to hear the sound of, great, of a great army coming toward their camp. They fled and, and left all their properties and materials. And that ended the famine in Israel. A lot of food and other materials were taken from the Syrian camp. Inasmuch what a measure of flour was sold for a shekel, and two measures of barley for a, for a shekel according to the word of the Lord. But I also want us to see their commitment. So, so we've seen their condition, their decision, their solution, and now we see their commitment. You know, this is based on true, three, three truths from the Scripture here. They were not satisfied sitting where they were at. And we see that in what they said. They were not satisfied sitting where they were at. They were going to die. They had no food. They, had, they, they couldn't beg for anything because the people that they had been begging for to give them stuff was either cut off, been able to come into the city, or the people that were coming outside the city had nothing to give. So they were cut off from everything. So they were just not satisfied sitting there. They had no other option. But they're also not satisfied in getting you know, what, what happened when they got to the camp? There was nobody there. They had all the food, everything that they ever needed. And what do they do? I, I read some commentaries saying that this, was, um, this had to be a, a, a Baptist church over there because these men, these men had to be Baptists Baptist because these men took everything they had and then they brought and hid stuff. And we're, we're good at hiding our gifts, right? I was good at hiding my gifts um, for a long time. And when, whenever God was calling me into the ministry, um, they didn't, uh, I didn't feel God calling me directly into the ministry. I, I started, we were serving in a church, and, and, and I guess the guy figured out, look, I better start with him really, really slow because um, he is not going to jump on board with this. Because if, if, if God started working on me then and say, look, you're going to be doing what I'm doing today in eight years, um, I would have run a lot harder and a lot, lot further but he started out with something simple. Hey, look, I just need you to play basketball with these teenagers. That's all I want you to do. I said, look, I'm not praying. I'm not teaching. I'm not doing any of those things. I just want to come shoot basketball. And I said, I can, I can do that. And he said, that's all I need you to do. Well, in about a couple of weeks, there was 200 teenagers in, a, in, in the gym, and we're fixing to eat. Hey, David, can you pray for us? Right out in the middle of everybody. And I freaked out. And that was the moment where God got a hold of my heart. Because after I left there, I was like, why couldn't I pray? 
Why couldn't I be the example of those teenagers? Because I've been harping on those kids that, are you reading your Bible? Are you doing this? Are you doing that? And was I doing that? You know, we're, we're really hard on the people around us, but um, are we doing the things that we're calling them out to do? Are we doing the things that we expect them to be doing? Because I have a lot of expectation on my son, and it's going to be hard for me to have expectations on him all his life if I'm not willing to do them myself. Are we doing those things? Do we have false expectations for the people around us and that we're not willing to do it as well? But they were not satisfied getting. These men were only satisfied going and telling. And we see that in verse 9. I want to read verse 9 here. They said to one another, We are not doing right. This day is a day of good news. If we are silent and wait until the morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now therefore come, let us go and tell the king's household. So if we understand where these men were, they had everything. Nobody was around. For them to understand that, that, um, that they could get away with this and not everybody know, they could have they hung out for a few more days. But also understanding that nobody from the city knew that they had went to the camp. They were, they were at their field, but also they, hid. They, they went and hid stuff. They had all this stuff there, and they were not satisfied. You know, I think, I think that has a lot to say to us today. We see athletes, we see all kind of people, we see people on TV and everything are struggling with life. They have everything the world has to offer. They don't have Him. And that has something to tell us is it's all about Him. So what are you doing with your gifts? What are you doing with the things that God has given you? Whether it's financial, whether it's, 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 um, it's your gifts, whether it's, it's encouragement, whether it's taking another young man or, or family under your wing to encourage and disciple. What are we doing? You know, I, I read a story this week of a guy that said, um, look, I don't have anything to offer the church, but I'm really good at making money. I'm, I'm really good with business. I've been a good businessman ever since I was, I had, a, I had a, a lemonade stand. I had all, but I'm not good at anything else. But he said, I want to bless the ministry of the church. And that's the only way I know how to do it. Well, what do you do? There's many of us here today that might not have but one gift. And whether it's financial, whether it's loving on kids, whether it's loving on our pastor, whether it's loving on staff, whether it's prayer, whatever that is, use the gift that God has given you because God has entrusted us with exactly the people that we have today to do His work in this place. We have exactly who we need to do to go out and reach our community in this place today. Exactly. We don't need anybody else because God has put everyone here for a purpose. And if, if every one of you this morning uses a gift that God has given you, we can go out and reach this community. We can. But I think a lot of us are what I call that realist. Man, we can't do that. This, this, this community is too far gone. That's that negative comment after, and that's saying that God, God can't handle it. God can't do it. But see, we also see here that these men were only satisfied going and telling. Where are we at today? It says a lot about um, us as individuals. Are you willing to pray this morning for where you're at? Are you willing to pray for those that you're around? 
You know, this week I was, I was um, struggling with, you know, what am I not doing that working through me in this? I said, man, I'd, I'd love to minister to a guy. I've had some crazy run-ins with my, my neighbor behind me. And, um, and, well, I've got some people in here that are my neighbors on the sides of me. It's not you guys. It's a different guy. So, uh, yes. But, but, but I use this as a story. I was like, man, God, I've been praying. God, create opportunities for me to show the love of Christ. Create opportunities for me to, me to um, minister to their family. I have a couple of kids, young kids, kids that's our kids' age. And um, I keep praying over this. And I'm just like, God hit me between the eyes this week. Well, how much more opportunity do I need? I moved you in the neighborhood where they're at. I started thinking. I live right next to them. What other opportunity do I need? I think a lot of us pray for things and God's already answered them before we even pray for them. So the next step is engaging. Are we praying? Are you willing to pray? But also, are you willing to engage? It takes action. We have to engage in the, in the work of the Lord. We saw these men, we saw these men willing to take the risk of going over to this enemy camp. They took the risk of stepping out of their comfort zone, stepping out of where they were at, because they, they were the same way. They understood they were outcasts. They understood nobody took them serious. But we also have to understand where they were at when they left the enemy camp whenever they were going back to the city to say, hey, look, all this awesome stuff is over there. Everything you need is at this enemy camp, and they're not there. So for them to believe that, hey, we're outcasts, and are they really going to listen to us when we go back? They had to engage. They had to do something. But we also understood, have to see the sowing. Have to see, um, understand that Every time we sow something out there, everybody's not going to believe. You know, that's what happened. They didn't believe. But sometimes people are, God's already prepared somebody to be in the right frame of mind to accept what you tell them. It's not about what you tell them. It's about how God pricks their heart. But also the harvesting. You know, these men had, had everything that this city needed. They had the harvest. But they needed the people to understand it. They needed to bring it back to the people. As we get ready to um, close this morning, I want to, I want to share just a, an illustration with you this morning that I thought was awesome when we understand it. It depends on whose hands it's in. A basketball in my hands is worth about 20 bucks. Probably not that much. A basketball in Michael Jordan's hand is worth about 30 million. It depends on whose hands it's in. A baseball in my hands is worth about $6. A baseball in Albert Pujols' hands is worth $25 million. It depends on whose hands it's in. A slingshot in my hand is a kid's toy. A slingshot in David's hand is a mighty weapon. It depends on whose hands it's in. Two fish and five loaves of bread in, in my hands is a couple of fish sandwiches. And I like fish sandwiches. Two fish and five loaves of bread in God's hands will feed thousands. It depends on whose hands it's in. Nails in my hands might produce, probably not, a birdhouse. Nails in Jesus Christ's hands will produce salvation for the entire world. It depends on whose hands it's in. As you see now, it depends on whose hands it's in. So put your concerns, your worries, your fears, your hopes, your dreams, your families and your relationships in God's hand. It depends on whose hands it's in. You know, as, as um, Brother Richard begins to get ready to come up, 
I just want to share, where, where are you at? Where are you at in this life journey? Where are you at? Are you a, are you a sitter? Are you sitting? Are you complacent? Are you okay where you're at? Are you getting? Are you a getter? Are you a consumer? Is it all about what I need, my wants? Are you a goer and teller? Because that's where I want to be. Honestly, if it's up to me, if God's not working in my life and I'm not in God's Word, I'm going to be a consumer. Because I want it to be all about me. But when I get in God's Word, all I see in there is about putting other, others before myself. Are you doing that today? Pray with me. Lord, we love You. We thank You for Your Word, Lord. We thank You for this story, Lord. I pray that I pray that Your Word struck a nerve in so many's hearts, Lord. Because I know it's worked through my heart this week, Lord. I pray that I'd, I want to be a goer and teller, Lord. Lord, I don't want to sit here and die. I want to do something while I can. I want to do something with the resources that You've entrusted with me in this day. Because I know that there might be a different set of, of resources later on in life, but right now there's people dying and going to hell right next door. Right next door to us. And we have the life-giving message and gift that they need. Lord, it's not something we're supposed to hold on to. Something that you entrusted with us to go and share with others. Lord, I pray that we can do that today. Pray all your name. Amen. Am I here? There we go. Amen.